passage for today is taken from the book of Colossians, the third chapter. There the Apostle Paul proclaims, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And of all these virtues, Paul writes, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Saints of the North Holland Reformed Church, this is the word of the Lord. Like you, I just love this passage of scripture because I believe it is such a beautiful portrayal of what we are called to aspire to as followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, there is that moment in time where we cross the line of faith, but that's just the beginning. The, the work of sanctification is both a moment and a process. We have the opportunity to grow into the very likeness of Jesus, to be more fitting for the work that God has called and created us to be committed to. And so Paul lays out for us this morning some qualities, some characteristics, some virtues, if you will, that should be uh, evident in the life of a sincere Christ follower. See, it's not just what we believe, I trust you would agree with this, it's also how we behave, it's, it's how we carry ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. No, we are not saved by works, but good works are the fruit of true faith. People should be able to look at your life and mine and see their evidence of the Holy Spirit's work, that, that we are growing more into the image of Christ. And so Paul gives us this litany of qualities and characteristics, and he begins by uh, inviting us to put these things on. I want us to imagine this morning the, the process that we go through getting dressed. Now, I would suggest that for most men, there's probably not a lot of time and effort we put into deciding what we're going to put on in the morning. In fact, I would say most men, if you would ask, can somebody just pick out a uniform for all male people to wear every day, I think most men would say, yeah, sign me up for that. I don't like to think much about what I wear. I just have to put something on, so I put something on. One of the things I really appreciate about living in Bahrain, there's this article of clothing called a thobe. Uh, a lot of Arab men wear a thobe, and they wear the same thing every day. It's very elegant. It's very functional. It's kind of a big, long, white bathrobe. Uh, and I've said to Kathy, you know, if we could just sign up to wear the thobe every day, I, I'd be up for that. You know, I could just look at my closet, maybe have four thobes, put the same thing on every day. Now, some of you are saying, no way, I don't like doing that. I like to think long and hard about what I wear because what I wear reflects something of who I am. I, I want to reflect to the world something about my character. I want to reflect to the world something about my creativity. I, I want to express to the world something about my style. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
But again, do we give that same forethought, do we give that same intention to how we clothe ourselves every day as followers of Jesus? Think about that. With purpose and intention every day, do you put your feet on the floor and say, how am I going to live this day to bring honor and glory to the risen Christ? What qualities and characteristics do I need to intentionally clothe myself with? What, what attitudes do I wish to embrace? What values are important to me? For example, Paul begins by inviting us to put on compassion. Now, if we had time this morning, I'd like to unpack each one of these that Paul mentions, but we're just going to focus on compassion this morning. I would ask us to, to consider together what would it look like for you, for me, for us collectively as a faith community to put on compassion with purpose and intention. If you were a more compassionate person, would that not honor Christ? Would that not allow the world in which we live in to be uh, a more welcoming and gracious space? I think we all long for that kind of world. Sometimes as Christians we bail out and we say, you know, the world's just screwed up. There's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. People are going to behave the same way until Christ comes again. There's not much I can do about it, so I'm just going to hang on and sing kumbaya and hope that Christ comes or I'm going to go to glory and then I'm going to get out of this mess. But I think we need to remember that, that the prayer that Christ invited his disciples and us to pray talks about bringing about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now, are we ever going to experience paradise on earth? No. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to bring the light of Christ to the space where we live and move and have our being. The places where Christians live should in some way magnify the risen Christ. And, and so how do we get at this? Put on compassion, Paul writes. Now again, how would you define compassion? I would say there are a lot of definitions that would be accurate. But I want us to think about compassion in the way of contrasting it with a different word that we're also familiar with, the word sympathy. Sympathy and compassion are in many ways similar. I would suggest that there's nothing wrong with sympathy. Sympathy, though, tends to have deep feeling for a person or for a situation, but we do so from a distance. We do so in a way that's a little more disconnected. You know, somebody loses a loved one. And uh, we might show up at the visitation, and we might say, you have my sympathy. It's a wonderful thing to express sympathy, to feel deeply the pain, the need of another person. But the Bible encourages us, wherever possible, to move beyond sympathy and to embrace compassion. Now, the difference between compassion and sympathy, I think, is most beautifully exemplified for us in the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke, the 10th chapter. We know well the story of this uh, traveler who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, how he fell into the hands of robbers who beat him, who uh, robbed him, who stripped him of his clothing and left him on the side of the road for dead. Now, we are told that shortly thereafter, a Levite and a priest, two religious people, two people who were committed to know the word of the Lord and to live in a way that honored God, they come along and they pass by on the other side of the road. And we feel some sense of outrage about that. I mean, how could a person of faith, how could a person who honors God pass by on the other side of the road? And yet, I have to imagine that the Levite and the priest 
had sympathy for the man who had fallen on hard times. I can say that because that's been me, and I would imagine that's been you as well. We see the brokenness of this world, and we say, that's too bad. You know, the world shouldn't be that way. We see someone in the lunchroom sitting by themselves, and we say, that's too bad. I don't know why that person is all alone, but I don't have the time, and I'm not really that interested to get involved. We see a person who's broken down on the side of the road, and we drive by because we're busy. We have sympathy. We feel badly that that person's broken down on the side of the road, but does our Christian witness uh, ask us to think about this matter in a different way, to say maybe what's practical is not what honors Christ. And, and we see that happen in this wonderful parable, that this Samaritan, this person who didn't necessarily believe the right way, who didn't practice faith the right way, but had compassion on this fallen traveler such that he came down from his uh, donkey or whatever it was that he was on and he ministered to him, he paid the price to care for him, he gave the time necessary to affect the kind of change and outcome that we all want. I mean, we all want to be the Good Samaritan, but I would argue that more often in my life, I act like the Levite and the priest. I have sympathy, but I don't always have the kind of compassion that I know I should. I know the kind of compassion that would extend the love of Christ to more and more people. And I know that that's what we all want. Intellectually, nobody's disagreeing with what I'm saying right now. But there's the challenge of moving from principle to practice. It's not hard to believe the right things, but it's oh so hard to behave the right way. And so we are encouraged by the Apostle Paul to be purposeful and intentional about this, to not just agree with compassion as a principle, but every day say, Lord, you're going to put in my space today interruptions, people that give me pause to maybe disengage from the things that I've decided to do, to, to loosen my grip on my money, to loosen my grip on my time, to loosen my grip on my talents, to be the very presence of Christ in the world. You know, I think about the difference between compassion and sympathy as I reflect upon the journey of Samuel and Amy Zwamer, who determined that they had a call from God to go to the Middle East and to minister, into a very, minister in a very challenging part of the world. Some of you are very familiar with the story. Others perhaps have never heard of Samuel and Amy Zwamer. Uh, we have the privilege of serving in the ministry that was begun, again, in the late 1800s. And when they initially came, I should say Samuel Zwamer came, Amy joined him about six years later to the Middle East. Uh, they began this work in ministry, and then they came back to the Reformed Church in America, and they said, you know, this is something we feel committed to. And essentially, the Reformed Church in America had sympathy for their commitment. Hey, you know, we think this is probably a good thing if you want to do it. But we know how ministry goes with Muslim people. We know this part of the world is not open to the gospel. And so we're not going to find any resources to support you. That's the difference between sympathy and compassion. Hey, you go for it. And we'll cheerlead for you, but we've got no money. We've got no time. We've got no anything in order to uh, 
kind of come alongside you. Samuel Amy, Amy Zwamer paid a, uh, a, a significant price for their commitment to the gospel. Some of you know that early on in their ministry, their two lovely daughters, ages four and seven, uh, both were tragically taken from them by way of malaria. So the price that they were willing to pay because of the compassion they had for the people in that part of the world, very evident. And again, over time, we see the ministries which they started. And you have some evidence of what's uh, happening in Bahrain today. Uh, they started three different ministries. They started a small school. Amy uh, could tell that the uh, girls uh, at that time were not being educated because they were considered second-class citizens. So she started the Acorn School. Today, my wife and my son and daughter-in-law, who are going to be married in a couple of weeks, are also coming to Bahrain to teach. This is now called the Al-Raja School. It means hope in Arabic. Uh, this school ministers almost entirely to Arab young children, to Muslims that are daily exposed to the teaching of the gospel. The small clinic that uh, Samuel and Amy Zwamer started has now developed into the American Mission Hospital. Uh, there are five campuses that uh, show the love and compassion of Christ in this part of the world. The, the ministry of the Reformed Church in America is so highly regarded that the, the monarchy, the king specifically, learned of the interest that the American hospital, Mission Hospital had to uh, develop a fifth campus. Not only did the king give all of the land in support of our ministry, but he wrote a check for $45 million to pay for the building of the building. Why did that happen? I'll tell you why. Because of the compassion of Samuel and Amy Zwamer. The thing that I'm so heartened to hear in Bahrain over and over again is that the Reformed Church in America cared about us before we had oil. Before we had anything, Samuel and Amy Zwamer were here, living with us, learning our language, developing a church, reaching out in ways that very often uh, they encountered rejection and scorn and ridicule, but they continued to do it. Why? Because they had compassion for people who are far from Christ. Now I realize that for some of us, this connection to the ministry that you are able to help flourish in this part of the world feels in a way a, a million miles away. But I want to bring it down to, to our contemporary context. I want to bring it down to what, what does this all mean for North Holland Reformed Church? I want us to think, for example, that the incarnation, the gospel, is essentially a message of compassion. You do realize that. I mean, the Bible tells us that, that we have all sinned, that Adam and Eve sinned, that God set them up for success and basically said, all of this that I've given to you is in bounds. There's only one thing, one choice you can make that's out of bounds, and yet Adam and Eve made that choice. And at that moment, God had a choice to make. And could we have blamed God if God would have said at that moment, you know, I have sympathy for the choice you've made. I mean, I love you and I set you up for success. I gave you a 99.9% .9 opportunity to do this the right way. You've chosen the wrong way, so, you know, you've made your bed. I guess you've got to lie in it. I, I, I'm really sorry about that. I feel bad about it. 
That's not what God did. The Word of God tells us in Romans, the fifth chapter, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel, dear friends, is a message of compassion. God left his throne in glory to come and live amongst you and me because he has a heart of love for all people, because he wants to save all people, because he wants to show the way not only to eternal life, but to abundant life to all people. The opportunity we have now as his disciples. Again, Jesus said, if anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself and daily take up his cross and follow me. See, I want us to think for just a moment about the difference between a cross and a burden. What does it look like in your life to take up a cross? Just like compassion and sympathy, I, I think when we compare and contrast a cross and a burden, we, we understand the importance, dare I say, the necessity of, of counting the cost and, and considering what God places before us every day. You know, living in a broken world means that sometimes we're going to have burdens placed upon us. Cancer is a burden. Divorce is a burden. Rejection is a burden. Failure is a burden. By burden, I mean these are things that we do not choose. These are the, the weights that are placed upon us because of our poor choices or because we live in a broken world. We all carry burdens. We don't say to a burden, no, I don't want that. You know, God, you can't give that to me. I'm not going to take it. Burdens are placed upon us, and we choose to carry them. Either we choose to carry them with faith, or we get bitter, and we get angry, and we wrestle with these kinds of things. This is the challenge of, of living in a broken world. But, but a cross is different. A cross is something we willingly take up. A burden is something that's placed upon us. A cross is something we willingly take up. And the Bible says that it's something we daily choose to do. We daily choose to put on compassion. And what would it look like if every sincere Christ follower woke up every day with a sense that today I'm choosing to take up a cross. Today I'm choosing to embrace compassion. Today I'm choosing to look at this broken world, not with sympathy, not to say to the people in the Middle East or the people that live next door, you know, I really wish you'd find your way to Jesus. You know, you really ought to come to love and know him. But I don't know how to make that happen. You know, I just hope it does, but I know deep down it's pretty likely it's not going to happen. You know, the Scriptures invite us in the Great Commission to share the good news of the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I mean, it's something we all agree with in principle. You know, who's going to disagree with the Great Commission and the Great Commandment? But I think what generally follows is I don't have a, a real sense of ownership about that. I mean, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an apologist. I'm not somebody that could win a Bible quiz. I don't know how to share my faith with other people. And I want to say, you know, I get that. But I want to push back and say being an evangelist is not necessarily about knowing everything about the Bible. It's not about trying to intellectually argue people into the, the validity of the, of the Christian faith. If you want to be a, an effective evangelist, I would suggest you need one thing, and that's compassion. To take this time that God has given us, to take the talents that God has given us, to take the resources that God has given us, and to loosen our grip on those things 
in such a way that others come to know something of the generosity and love and grace of the risen Christ. Again, what does that look like practically in your life? I don't know. And that's the beauty of it. There's no template that I lay on this. It's as simple as saying, Lord, at the beginning of my day, I want to put on compassion. So open my eyes to see what's broken in the world and give me enough faith to be willing to disengage from my schedule. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with having a schedule for the day. God wants us to be productive. But the Spirit and the Word would say, sometimes I'm going to try to interrupt your ordered life. I'm going to challenge you to loosen your checkbook or your, your hold on your checkbook a little bit. I'm going to challenge you to loosen that, that schedule that's so tight. Uh, I'm going to challenge you to go out of your comfort zone and, and to do the things that, that express genuine compassion, not just sympathy for people who are hurting, people who are struggling, people who need to know that there is light in the midst of the darkness. You know, what might that look like? I think, for example, of a of a child that loves her grandparents and uh, has a sense of sympathy around the fact that they're sitting home alone a lot of the time. You know, it's too bad that grandpa and grandma uh, have to be alone so much. As opposed to grandpa and grandma are sitting home a lot and I'm going to make sure that I make a priority to use part of my time to go and spend time with them. Or my neighbor who's a grumpy cuss all of the time and just never seems to have anything good to say about anyone, I'm going to try to just love on him in a, in a particular way and just trust that God's going to use that. Or when I see that person broken down on the side of the road, I'm not going to say, you know, it's just too bad, but I've got places to go and people to meet. No, I'm going to be the good Samaritan because my faith invites me to put on compassion. Now, can we stop and help everyone and and just let go of everything and, and be kind of reckless? I would say, sure. I think we can. Is that practical? No, it's not. But again, you generally don't persuade people with practicality. You persuade people by doing things that are uncommon. People do not care how much we know until they know how much we care. And as Christians, I think we've kind of lost sight of the fact that God is not as concerned about getting us through the Bible as getting the Bible through us. That God's desire is not just to bless us so that we live a nice, comfortable life, but so that we can be a channel through which God's goodness flows into the world. You know, I love the idea of God's blessings flowing to me. I find it much more difficult to allow God's blessings to flow through me. But I think we all would say that's what God wants, and that's what you want. We all want to live in a world which models the kind of sacrificial love for Christ of a Samuel and Amy Zwamer. Maybe you're not at a point where you want to sell everything and go live in the Middle East. That's okay. We, we got good people working there, and you're doing a great job helping to support that. You know, the English language congregation now has over 1,000 members from 50 different countries, the evangelical church in total has about 3,000 members. In this part of the world where the Reformed Church in America said the gospel probably is not going to get any traction, the light of Christ is shining brightly. And I want you to be encouraged by that. But I also want you to be reminded that 50% of people in Ottawa County are not in any way affiliated with a gathered congregation. 
The people that you pass by on the side of the road who are in need or distress are not needing from us sympathy. They're longing to live in a community and to encounter somebody who truly manifests this quality of compassion. I just feel so encouraged because I know that this untapped resource in the church is something that can bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven more and more as we simply follow the example of Paul and the invitation to put on as God's chosen ones holy and dearly loved compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience to bear with one another and to forgive. And above all these virtues, to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, we thank you that your gospel is a gospel of compassion. Lord, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You sent your one and only Son to express to us a heart of love that was eager to give. And so, Lord, we ask that that same heart, our heart of stone, would be turned into a heart of flesh, and that that heart of flesh would grow larger and larger for the brokenness of this world, that we would not just have sympathy for all that's broken around us, but that we would be moved with compassion, that we would offer our time and our talents and our treasures to bring about your light and love in this space that is so often dark and lacking in hope. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the ministry of North Holland Reformed Church. Pray that you would continue to show her how to be a light in this space and more broadly in this community and beyond. Hear this our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ was Son of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken by him. We come to have communion with this same Christ, who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto life eternal. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. We come in hope leaving that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the feast of hope, of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come, when with unveiled face we shall behold him, made like unto him in his glory. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit which unites us all in one body, so are we to receive the spirit in true love, mindful of the communion of the saints." As we go through the communion liturgy, I invite you to join me in the bolded words that will appear on the screen. 
The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is, it is right, right to, to give, give our, our thanks, thanks and, and praise. praise. Let's pray. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places, O Lord our Creator, almighty and everlasting God. You have created heaven with all its host and the earth with all of its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown us the fullness of your love, your compassion.